0: At luckylandslots.com. Available to players in the US, excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW group, Void or prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply.
1: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to Chronicles of
2: Nania. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at play like a jet one. And I am joined, of course, by the man who this show is named after. He's the resident stat geek over at Elite Sports New York and Gangrene Nation. And we are getting back into our countdown of the top 11 draft picks that the Jets have had this millennium. In our first two parts, we got all the way down to number four. So we're going to finish it off with part three today. And we're going to start with somebody who it's hard to argue wasn't an outstanding pick, even if he was picked very high in the draft. He was the left tackle for the New York Jets for 10 years, multiple Pro Bowl appearances, and a guy that was a class act all the way on top of it. Of course, talking about freeport zone to Brickishaw Ferguson. Michael, let's get into the background of this. 224 points on your chart, 69 in approximate value, which is sixth among all Jets draft picks since 2000, 160 regular season games played. I also mentioned that he was picked very high in the draft. He was. He was number four overall out of the University of Virginia in two thousand six. Along with another gentleman who is going to be appearing on this countdown a little bit later on He played his entire career, the entire decade that he was in the NFL with the New York Jets So Michael, talk to me about DeBrickshaw Ferguson You've got some really interesting nuggets here About a guy who I would say wasn't an elite left tackle But certainly good enough to be considered a franchise left tackle for a decade in the NFL And really, what more could you want out of a draft pick no matter where he's drafted?
3: Yeah, so you mentioned he's got 224 points on this list, and he scores big points for the longevity that he brought to the Jets. 69 proximate value, which is sixth among all Jets draft picks since 2000. He had those three Pro Bowl appearances, and being on a good team is going to help you get those Pro Bowl appearances. The Jets were a very good team over the the span that uh, Brick spent with the team. They made the playoffs a bunch of times, had those two AFC championship runs, so that does help make the Pro Bowl appearances. But he did have... Uh, At the peak of his career, I think you could argue he was one of the at least top 10 best left tackles in the league, maybe top five, even if he wasn't dominant, definitely one of the better left tackles in the league. But it is his longevity that he brought to the table and the durability that really puts him at the top of at the top of this list. Obviously, he played 10 seasons with the Jets from 2006 to 2015 and never missed a single game. So going 16 games every single season gave him 160 regular season games played for the Jets, which is third among all players that they've selected in the 21st century, so that durability, playing 16 games every single season, which is that's just great value no matter what position it is, unless it's a kicker, of course, but uh, if you get 16 games out of a guy, no matter what position it is, every single year for 10 years, that's great value to have, and Brick did it while playing at a really high level, at a really important position, so as a number four pick back in 2006, that's exactly the kind of value you want to get out of a guy you take that high, especially on the offensive line.
2: Interesting numbers here, Michael, that I noticed as far as the Jets' rushing attack while Ferguson was playing left tackle.
3: Yeah, so over the length of Ferguson's career from 2006 to 2015, over that span, the Jets had twenty over 20,000 rushing yards, 20,467 to be exact. Remember that for your next trivia outing. Uh, that was third most, in, <laughs> third most in the league over that span among all teams. So he did have a little bit, definitely had a part in that, obviously the Jets did have a really talented offensive line uh, at points over Ferguson's career, especially in the late 2000s when they made those AFC championship runs. But he definitely, the Jets did have a lot of rushing success while he was there. So it it is hard to find stats that really kind of show how good offensive linemen are. But just the fact that the Jets did do a really good job running the ball over the course, most of the time that Ferguson spent with the team, and the fact that the pass protection at times was really good, Ferguson was a part of some really good offensive lines over the course of his career with the team. And there also was a big jump to when, uh, at the point, the Jets did draft Ferguson. Obviously, they did draft another really good offensive lineman in that 2006 draft, who we will get to next on this list. But in 2005, the season before Ferguson arrived, the Jets were 31st in rushing. And in the three seasons since Ferguson has retired, the Jets were 19th in rushing yards. So in between, you know, before the Jets got Ferguson and since he's been gone, the Jets have really struggled on the ground. So it definitely does kind of demonstrate the impact that he did have, even though, Towards the end of his career, did tell off a little bit. The Jets did have a lot of success on the offensive line while Ferguson was there. And obviously, being that number four pick way back in 2006, he was the start of building that great offensive line that helps power them to a couple of AC AFC championship games.
2: And one thing I also noticed here, Michael, is that a lot of us used to scream and yell when Willie Colon, who was in a sense a local product because he went to Hofstra, used to get penalized all the time when he was on the Jets. This local product in Debrickishaw Ferguson did not get penalized very much at all.
3: Yeah, so over the course of his career, Ferguson averaged only four point three total penalties per season. Over the course of his career, and that's total penalties, not just accepted. So that's a really solid number. You'll see uh, some tackles get in the double digits. They'll have ten, maybe twelve flags in a season. Some guys who are really bad will get one a week and get around sixteen. But four is a really solid number to average uh, over the course of your entire uh, over the course of your entire career per season to only average four penalties is a really solid number. That's definitely a high-level total at the left tackle position, any offensive line position. uh, To only get four penalties in a season is really solid, and it definitely plays into just how good of a player he was technically. He definitely was a really good pass protector. Just a really solid overall player for the Jets, both run and pass game, Uh, with those numbers we gave in the running game before. Just in both phases, a really solid player on that left side for a long time, and his ability to avoid those penalties was definitely a really big part of what he brought to the table.
2: As we said, an Iron Man only missed one snap, and that was by design. Never even missed a practice the whole time he was with the Jets, by all accounts. But Michael, along those lines, I thought this was fascinating. You put together a nice little nugget here regarding players from New York and New Jersey and how many games they played in the league. Ferguson ranks pretty high on that list.
3: Yeah, so no New Yorker has played more games for a New York or New York City team than Ferguson had, it was, or New York City area, of course. So for the New York Giants or the Jets, no player born in New York has played more games for one of those teams than Ferguson has. He's 12th all-time in games played among players born in New York, and four players who have played for the Jets rank above him on that list. Trevor Price, who or actually Trevor Price, yeah, Trevor Price is 5th on the all-time New York games played list, Jumbo Elliott fourth, Roman Pfeiffer third, and Vinny Testaverde second. All those guys played for the Jets, but no player born in New York has played more games for the Jets or the Giants than the Brickshaw-Ferguson has. So, And I don't think any guy really has done a better job embodying that kind of New York mentality that he did with the durability he brought to the table and just how productive he was up for so long. So I think it's pretty symbolic uh, that he played many games for the Jets being a New Yorker and the fact that no New York foreign player has represented even of the New York City teams as much as he did.
0: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for... Happy price. Go to your happy price. Price line. This is
1: the Overtime Podcast Network.
2: Another guy who had plenty of longevity with the New York Jets and is ranked just slightly ahead of Ferguson points-wise. Ferguson had two twenty four in your system. And Sean Ellis, the longtime defensive end who was picked in that same 2000 draft with John Abraham. And like I said last week, that is really impressive because the Jets got three out of the 11 guys on this list in one draft. That was in 2000, of course ellis abraham and lavernius Coles. so ellis picks up 226 points and 91 in approximate value which is second among all jets draft picks since 2000 he played 170 regular season games which is first on the list and had two pro bowl appearances a lot of fascinating nuggets here that you dug up on sean ellis he had a long very fruitful run with the new york jets I don't want to talk about where he ended his career because it's unpleasant to even think about him wearing that uniform New England Patriots. But I will always remember him as a New York Jet, and I'm sure everybody else will too. So, Michael, unpack some of the things that you uncovered about Sean Ellis.
3: Yeah, so like you mentioned, he edges out to Brickshaw Ferguson here. He had 91 approximate value, which is second among all Jets draft picks since 2000. 170 regular season games played, the most games played by a player the Jets have drafted uh, in the 21st century. Most games played for the Jets with those 170 regular season appearances, and he made the Pro Bowl twice, so all that comes together to put him at number three on this list. The two Pro Bowl appearances uh, is well sure of the two guys who are ahead of him on this list, so that's why he falls to number three, but the longevity he brought to this team is pretty much unparalleled, for, uh, especially a front seven player on this team. So you look at what Ellis brought to the table, you... Don't really have to go far down the ladder to find Sean Ellis on any Jets all-time defensive list. He's second in team history in sacks with 72 and a half, fourth in forced fumbles with 13, sixth in total tackles with 552, and he's tied with Mark Gastineau for 11th in team history in approximate value, and fourth among defensive players. So definitely one of the all-time great defensive players, all-time great pass rushers, defensive linemen in Jets history, and you compare him against the other players the Jets have uh, drafted in this 21st century, and he's given them more longevity than anyone else has with those 170 regular season appearances. Plus, he played in 12 playoff games, which is the most playoff games ever appeared in by a New York Jets player. So he definitely gave them some elite longevity that any team would love to have out of any draft pick to have them play that long in that many playoff games, be that durable as Sean Ellis was. And just the fact that the Jets haven't gotten a single player to play more regular season games or playoff games out of their draft picks than he has in this 21st century, just as a sign of how great he was for this team and how just how good he was for such a long time over the first decade of this century.
2: And also, he was tied into a lot of the Jets' success during the 2000 to 2010 run because a lot of people don't realize how many winning seasons the Jets had during that stretch as opposed to a lot of the rest of their history, which is why when you look through the stats, Michael, you'll find that Sean Ellis is tied for second all time in victories amassed as a player with the New York Jets, tied with another all-time Jets great, Mo Lewis. The only one in front of them is a kicker, correct? Correct.
3: Yeah, that's true. So Ellis played he played in 182 combined regular season playoff games for the Jets, which which is fifth on the team's all-time list. But he's a part of 94 wins, which ties him, like you said, for Mo Lewis for the second most in team history. And only Pat Lehigh, about 113 wins, is ahead of those two guys on the list. Obviously, he played the team for a very long time, so he's able to rack up those wins because he's also the team leader in games played. But Ellis's career winning percentage with the Jets at 516, is the highest among the top 20 Jets to appear in at least 150 games. So now, obviously, it is a little bit of an indictment of the Jets that a 516 win percentage is the best among their top 20 players to appear in the most games. But for Sean sure, Adams, it definitely does show that he's a part of a lot of success over the course of the time that he was with the team. And, you know, over that first decade of the two thousands from 2000 up to 2010, even if you extend it a couple years back to 1998, the jets were one of the more successful teams in the league, made three AC championships over that span, a bunch of other playoff appearances in there. And, you know, with the playoff drought that we're in right now, that has kind of been forgotten. And you know, with all of the kind of off the field moments and just all the drama that we've had with this team over the past decade or so, it, it's it's crazy that we're going on a decade missing playoffs. But anyway, it it does kind of cloud the fact that the Jets were a really successful team, you know, over that span from '98 up to 2010. And Sean Ellis was a huge part of pretty much that entire span over the first ten years of the t- 21st century. So. He definitely was a part of a lot of success, and it shows up in the fact that he's won the second most games of any player in Jets history. This is the
1: Overtime Podcast Network.
2: And you want to talk about clutch, Michael. Here's a guy that stepped up in the playoffs and had big numbers, and also was a bit of a Tom Brady killer.
3: Yeah, so since the beginning of the Bill, uh, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick era in 2001, Els ranks fourth in sacks against the Patriots, including the playoffs, with 11 sacks in 21 games, and 10 of those sacks or against Tom Brady, which ranks Ellis fourth on the list of uh, players to sack Tom Brady the most behind only Jason Taylor, Aaron Schobel, and Cameron Wake, so he's definitely got his top of Tom Brady a lot, and made a bunch of big plays against the Patriots, which is obviously, you know, until Tom Brady decides to move on, until Bill Belichick decides to move on, that's pretty key for a Jets player, so Sean Ellis definitely over the course of his career has, he definitely made those plays against Tom Brady and the Patriots, and He also had at least a half sack in 65 total regular season and playoff games as a Jet, which is the most in team history. So he definitely made big plays in big games. He appeared in those 12 playoff games. He made 11 tackles for loss, three sacks, had a fumble recovery, two pass deflections in those 12 games, made a bunch of big plays over those games that he played. And like I mentioned, those 12 playoff games he played in is the most playoff appearances for a single player in Jets history. So Sean Ellis gave the Jets... A lot of production over the course of his career. His high points were really good. He had 12.5 sacks in 2003, which is the 6th best single season total in Jets history. Followed that up with 11 sacks in 2004, which was 8th best in his 23.5 sacks over that 2-year span him flip in the league. And he was the only player over that span to place top 15 in total tackles and top 5 in sacks. So he had those high points. He had the longevity, he had the team success, so a great career for Sean Ellis obviously ends on the dark side. Like another guy we've mentioned, David Harris, but didn't end on a high note going over to New England. But what he gave to the Jets for 11 years, made the playoffs a ton, was a part of a lot of team success, had some elite high points, great longevity. He just hit all the marks that you want in any player that plays for your franchise. He definitely gave that to the Jets.
2: Should note that he was selected one pick ahead of John Abraham, the two of them back-to-back picks for the Jets. Can't ask for much more than what the Jets got out of those two. I've always said that John Abraham was the more dominant player, but Sean Ellis was the more consistent and well-rounded player. Is that more or less what you found when you dug into this?
3: Yeah, I think you could definitely argue that. When we went over John Abraham's stats, his high points were definitely... I think, higher than Ellis's were. There were points where he was you know, one of the most dominant defensive players, especially pass rushers, in the league. And Ellis's high points aren't quite that good. They're definitely, you know, borderline line elite, arguably elite. You know, like I just mentioned, he had those back-to-back 11-plus sack seasons and was one of the best sack artists in the league over that two-year span in 2003-04. to But for the most part, I think Abraham was probably more dominant. But Ellis definitely played with the Jets a lot longer and definitely had some better all-around numbers not just with the pass rushing and definitely he earns a lot more points you know both not just in the system but in terms of the eyes of Jets fans earns a lot of points just with how long he played for the team and the playoff success that he was a part of
1: it is Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper This is the Overtime Podcast
0: Network.
2: Next up on our list at number two, I'm not going to mince words. I think that when he was at his best, he was the greatest player to ever wear a Jets uniform. And the only reason that he's not number one on this list is because he didn't quite have the longevity with the team that some of the others did. But the fact that he's number two shows you how great he was at his peak, and that is Darrell Revis. And we're talking about a massive jump in points here, too. Because we jump from 226 with Sean Ellis, who's number three, all the way up to 413 with darrell revis i shouldn't have to repeat the accolades that he had but i'm gonna go for it anyway this is a guy that was a multiple time all pro a multiple time pro bowler picked 14th overall the jets traded up in the 2007 draft to get him that was a draft where they also got david harris who earlier appeared on this list again when you get two players that appear on this list in the same draft you know that you did something right Numbers both in the playoffs and in the regular season, mind-blowing, absolute blanket when it came to coverage. He was tough. He was physical. He could keep up with anybody. Some have said that his 2009 season was the greatest season any cornerback has ever had. So, Michael, let's unpack this. Talk to me about Darrell Rivas, who appears at number two on this list.
3: Yeah, so you mentioned the huge gap in points between the third and fourth spots and these top two guys, and the reason for that is these top two guys on the list had a lot of accolades. Darrell Rivas had five Pro Bowl appearances, three first-team All-Pro appearances, so even though he's only sixth in regular season games played among Jets draft picks in the century with 108 of those, those accolades definitely earn him a lot of points, and it plays into like what you said, even though Rivas didn't play for the Jets that long, he had you know, they trade him early on to Tampa Bay, and then he came back for a couple seasons later. But even though he didn't play with them that long, what he brought to the team while he was with them was the, probably the most dominant play you've ever seen from a player on this team. And the stat that I think really supports that is that among the 72 Jets to play at least 100 games for the franchise, Rubis ranks second in approximate value accumulated per game behind only one man, and that is the most respected player to wear green and white and play for this team ever, and that's Joe Namath. So... I think just being mentioned in the same sentence as him just kind of plays into the dominance that Revis had, and I think you could argue that obviously I think Revis was probably a more dominant corner than Joe Namath was a quarterback. But the thing with approximate value is it does give it does give quarterbacks some extra weight just because of the importance of that position and winning games does play a lot into it. So Joe Namath. Did get some extra score for how successful the Jets were for a couple years of his career and obviously winning the Super Bowl one year, but Joe Namath was still a great, great player, a Hall of Famer, and one of the best quarterbacks in the league while he was there. So it's definitely to have Revis ranked second in Jets history in approximate value per game behind only Namath definitely plays into how great he was while he's with the team. Even though he didn't have the longevity, what Revis gave the Jets at his peak was just dominant, dominant play.
1: No purchase necessary void prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details This is the overtime podcast network <laughs>
2: Michael, just to back up my point about the 2009 season with Revis, you have a really interesting stat here that he notched 31 passes defensed in that season, which is still the single-season record in the history of the NFL. If you didn't get a chance to watch the 2009 season and see it for yourself, go back and watch as many games as you can find on YouTube and try and watch Darrell Revis covering some of the best receivers in the league in their prime and just absolutely shutting them down. It was one of the most remarkable things You'll ever see a football player do, but you have plenty of stats here about Revis in terms of interceptions, which will surprise some people because he's not a guy that's known for interceptions because quarterbacks were afraid to throw at him, but he still notched some pretty impressive interception numbers in terms of all-time jet numbers and also a lot of a lot of very interesting information in here about what he did with passes defense. on top of what I said with 2009. This extends throughout his entire run as a Jet. So unpack some of that for us if you could.
3: Yeah, so obviously Rivas is best known for being a lockdown guy. You know, the kind of player who's so dominant that teams would just avoid whoever he was covering for the course of the game. So because of that, he didn't put up the best interception totals ever, the best stats. He was a guy who you had to really watch and you know, be paying attention at that time to understand how dominant he was and just see the stat lines that all world receivers were putting up against him. But what makes him so great is that even though he was, teams were avoiding him as much as they were, he was still put getting his hands on the football a lot. And the 31 passes defended he had in 2009 still stands as the NFL's single season record since they first tracked that stat. Uh, about a couple decades ago, and he also accumulated an approximate value of 21 in 2009 alone, which sits as the fourth-best single-season total in NFL history for a cornerback, and the best over the last 18 seasons, so the best of the century for a cornerback, and it ties Revis for the Jets' single-season record uh, for approximate value in a single-season with Only David Harris, who had uh, 21 that same season as well, which the Jets were very good defensively that season, so it definitely helped out Harris a lot. But just the overall value that he brought to the table was really good, and he still put up really good numbers in terms of making plays on the ball, even though he was such a good coverage corner that he didn't get that many targets in his direction. He's third in Jets history in interceptions with 25. The only players ahead of him on this list played their entire Jets careers in the 1960s when interceptions were flying all over the field, and at all-time highs, that would be Gerard Paulson and Bill Baird with 29 and 34 each. So, Revis did put up some good production in terms of getting his hands on the football, even though he was such a good shutdown player. And on the league-wide total passes defended leaderboard, which is since 1999, Revis checks in tied for 18th with Ed Reed in total passes defended and his .959 passes defended per game in his career Ranks as the fifth best mark among players with at least a hundred games played, behind only Asante Samuel, Joe Hayden, Chris McAllister, and Jonathan Joseph. So, and again, considering the fact that so much of Reeves's game was predicated on preventing targets in his direction altogether, the fact that he still ranks at historic levels in terms of passes defended, interceptions over the course of his career just goes—it just goes to show how great this guy was. If you most of the time, you weren't going to throw in his direction, because if you did, he's going to get his hands on that football more often than anybody else is, so it just goes to show how great Revis was, and, you know, I mentioned in 2009, he had the record for passes defended in a single season, and then, I forget the exact number, but 2010, I'm pretty sure he had about less than half of that, which, it was not because of his own dip in performance, but just because he was so dominant getting his hands on the football in He was just even more so than before, he would just not throw the ball in his direction at all. So he's just a guy who, you know, made a name being so dominant, getting his hands on the football, just became one of the most feared players in NFL history in terms of just teams trying to completely avoid him in their game plan. So that Revis brought at his peak was probably the most dominant play you've ever seen from a Jets player, and it, you just look at the names he's mentioned with, and even in Jets history, the fact that only Joe Namath has brought as much approximate value on a per-game basis as Revis did just goes to show how great he was.
2: Rivas had 84, an overall approximate value. And he was the linchpin of that defense in 2009 and 2010 when they were so dominant against the pass And he did it without any help from outside edge rushers. The Jets did not have anything remotely close to a dominant edge rusher. The two guys that were manning the outside at that point were Brian Thomas and Calvin Pace, both solid players. Neither one is ever going to be confused with DeMarcus Ware or Von Miller or anybody like that. And Michael, you have some very interesting info in here about how Rivas' dominance helped lead to the Jets being so great against the pass in 2009 and 2010 when they went to -to back-to-back AFC Championship games.
3: Yeah, so the Jets' pass defense over that two-year span was arguably the most dominant aspect of that team and maybe one of the most dominant units that the Jets have ever had on any one of their teams. So from 2009 to 2010, the Jets' defense was first and fewest passing yards allowed with only 177 per game, first and most completion percentage allowed, at only 51%, first and fewest yards per pass attempt allowed at only exactly 6.0, second and fewest passing touchdowns allowed with 32, and second and lowest opponent passer rating allowed at 68. A 68 is the average passer rating the Jets gave up over those two years. So that means the average quarterback that the Jets played in 2009 to 2010. The average performance that opposing quarterbacks had against the Jets was about equal to what Josh Allen did for the Bills in 2018. So... This defense was so good, it basically made everyone they faced turn into Josh Allen on average. So, rookie Josh Allen. So, they were just dominant over that span, and Revis was the core of it. Like you mentioned, the pass rush did not play that big of a part in making the pass defense so dominant. The Jets did have a lot of talent in the secondary over that time, but Revis was definitely at the core of it. They were not going to be anywhere near that without him. Uh, Rex Ryan obviously is a big part of it as well. He came in and the defense kind of changed, but Revis was at the core of this whole thing. His dominance changed the game, but really, he kind of changed the cornerback position, just redefined how dominant a player at that spot can be, and really, any cornerback who's great in this league is going to get compared to him, and the dominance that Revis had over those two years helped the Jets get to those two AFC Championship games. They don't get there without him, and the dominance that he had just made the Jets' pass defense as a whole one of the best passing defenses, not just in Jets history, but really in NFL history, you're not going to see a team be that dominant, especially here and I think the late 2000s, you didn't really see too much of the passing boom yet that you've seen the past couple of years in terms of teams, throw, teams throwing the ball more often and getting that passing production, but this is still the 2000s, 2009-2010. The passing production was starting to uptick a little bit and the Jets are giving up an average passer rating of 68 and letting teams barely complete half of their passes and throw for under 200 yards a game, not even close to 200 yards a game at 177. So those numbers are just absolutely dominant, and Lewis was at the core of that.
2: And now, drum roll, please—the number one ranked player on this list of top 11 draft picks of the millennium for the New York Jets is. Nick Mangold with 441 points 84 in approximate value played 164 regular season games with seven pro Bowls, two first team all pro appearances I would argue that at their best both John Abraham and especially Darrell Rivas were better players it's not a slight on Nick Mangold all of those guys were elite when they were at their best Abraham will not see the Hall of Fame because he wasn't elite long enough. Revis surely will, just because he was as dominant as you can possibly be for that short stretch that he was with the Jets the first time around. But holy cow, Nick Mangold is everything you want when you draft a guy, especially when you do it at number 29 overall. Before we get into the facts that you have On your list here about Nick Mangle, I just want to point this out. You want to talk about getting some mileage out of a number one overall pick? In 1996, the Jets drafted Keyshawn Johnson, number one overall. Keyshawn Johnson went on to have four excellent seasons with the Jets, was a Pro Bowler, ended up getting traded to the Tampa Bay Bucks in exchange for the 13th and 27th picks in the 2000 draft. The Jets used those picks on Anthony Becht, whatever, and John Abraham. John Abraham gave the Jets five excellent seasons, multiple Pro Bowls. They then turn around and trade him for the 29th pick in the 2006 draft. They get Nick Mangold, who goes on to do what he did. So 20 years of sustained excellence out of one draft pick. You got to say the Jets did a pretty good job of parlaying that pick into something pretty special.
3: Yeah, no doubt about that. The Jets definitely got a ton of mileage out of that Keyshawn Johnson pick. And come to think of it, that, that is kind of... The savvy kind of extension of deals. That's the kind of move that we kind of need to see more out of the Jets' front office in the future that we haven't seen in a while. But anyway, the Jets did get a great career out of Nick Mangold. And even though, like you said, he wasn't as dominant as Darrell Revis was at his peak, I think there was still a stretch where you could argue Nick Mangold was maybe the best center in the league. And he gave the Jets some great longevity. He gets a lot of points for the accolades that he earned: seven Pro Bowls, two first-team All-Pros. He played 164 regular season games. Uh, That's second among all Jets draft picks in the 21st century. So he gave them plenty of dominant years over the course of his career. You know, like you said, Darrell Revis is an all-time great. I mean, what he gave them at cornerback was among the best you'll ever see from anybody at that position up to now. And however long football exists, that will be among the best you ever see at the cornerback position. So my wasn't quite that good, but like I said, he's still a a guy you could put in that conversation as the best at his position for a pretty good portion of ...of his career, and he gave the Jets some great longevity, so that does help push him over Duel Rivas. Obviously, he was a part of a lot of success with the Jets, played those two AFC Championship runs, and he signed for seventh in league history in Pro Bowl appearances by a center with seven of those, like I mentioned, and he's also second in Pro Bowl appearances for the Jets among players at any position behind only Winston Hill, who had eight Pro Bowls, so edging out Nick Mangold by one, so... He definitely had some really good peak years the Jets offensive line was great he and DeBrick Shaw Ferguson were both a huge part of making that happen as homegrown guys taken in that 2006 draft and you know Nick Mangold too off the field I think is one of the most beloved players in Jets history never not a thing to dislike about this guy at all but on the field he gave the Jets great longevity had some of the best peak years the Jets have ever had from one of their own draft picks one of their own players at any position really I mean we're talking about Mangold here. After talking about Darrell Rivas, who you know, like we said, had some of the most one of the most dominant peaks of his career of all time of any player at any position, especially in Jets history. So it's hard to kind of top that. But Nick Mangold, we forget that this guy was pretty clearly considered at worst a top three center for most of his prime. So and and God knows the Jets could definitely use that right now. So. But I think the Jets definitely enjoyed what they got out of Mangle. They've struggled to replace him over the past couple of years and that kind of just goes to show the value that position can have, how good it how valuable it can be to have a player as good as he was, as durable as he was for as long as the Jets did.
2: Not that it's comparable because center is nowhere near as important as quarterback. But when you go from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck or Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, it's just incredible good fortune that you have. And the Jets had the center equivalent of that because they went from one of the greatest centers in the history of the sport, Kevin Mawaii, To another one of the greatest centers in the history of the sport, Nick Mangold. People have argued over who is better. I think, to me, it's quite clear that Mangold was not as good as Mawai, but so what? If you're not as good as Kevin Mawai, that's really no slight on you. He's one of the greatest centers of all time. And as an added bonus, Michael, we talked about how infrequently DeBrickishaw ferguson was penalized at tackle during his career with the Jets. Mangold, who also spent his entire career with the Jets, was penalized even less than Ferguson.
3: Yeah, so Nick Mangold, too, definitely did a great job with avoiding penalties. He was very solid in the early part of his career, but down the stretch of his career from 2012 to 2016, he became absolutely great at avoiding penalties. So over that span, over the final five seasons of his career, he never committed more than one flag in a season. And just to put into perspective how good that is, because centers do get fewer penalties generally than the other offensive line positions do, but still to do what Mangold did over that span, just to put into perspective how valuable that can be. In twenty eighteen, Spencer Long and Jonathan Harrison combined for nine penalties at the center position. And Mangold had ten penalties over his final one hundred regular season games. So first career Mangold averaged only just under two total penalties per sixteen games. So he really got great at avoiding those penalties down the stretch of his career, but Even over the beginning of his career, he was very, very good at it. So a guy who's only going to commit two penalties over the course of an entire season at the center position, and we all know how much penalties at the offensive line can kill an offense. We've seen a ton of that with this Jets team. Nick Mangold was never a a problem with that, and neither was DeBrickshaw Ferguson, who we just talked about. So uh, penalties aren't the only thing that goes into being good as an offensive lineman, but to have two guys... Uh, on your offensive line for a long time, who do a really good job of avoiding those drive-killing penalties is definitely a huge value to have.
2: Michael, this was such a fun series. I'm really glad that we were able to do this. You know that one of my favorite things is looking back at Jets history. So I love looking over your formula and how you figured this out and put the statistics together. If you want to read it for yourself, you can. We obviously went into more detail here in audio form than you're going to get in written form, but... It's at Gangreenation.com, And now that we've done the history, we are going to do much more recent history because you did a massive series covering the entire 2018 rookie campaign of Sam Darnold. And we're going to start on that one next week. That's going to be so much fun. Training camp's around the corner. We're talking Darnold. It doesn't get much better if you're a Jets fan. Michael, thanks so much for coming on for the Chronicles. Really appreciate it. Before you go, why don't you let everybody know about what you've got cooking over at Elite Sports New York, Gang? Green Nation, Turn on the Jets, and the 96 other places that you write?
3: Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Michael underscore Nania. My writing is at Gang Green Nation and Elite Sports in New York. And you mentioned the Donald series. I'm really excited to get into that here on the Chronicles. I've been doing that series for about the past, I think, a couple months, uh, last couple months. But I've been going through each of Donald's games in 2018 and charting his production by a lot of different metrics. Okay, as production by root type, you know, how good is he at throwing go routes? How good is he at throwing slant routes? So breaking that down, looking at his production by number of rushers he's faced, uh, side of the field he's throwing to, uh, his production on improvised plays, in which he gets outside the pocket and the receiver breaks out their route, number of drops he's had, number of passes he threw, that were interceptions that shouldn't have been, that would have fought somebody else, and the opposite of that, passes he threw that weren't interceptions that should have been, Uh, his production by throw depth, how good is he on shallow throws, how good is he on deep throws, so a lot of different ways breaking down his production, and also taking a look at the ways he improved down the stretch of the season, so I'm really excited to get on here and talk about that. I've already gotten through his first 11 games of the season, Uh, so you can check those out on Gang Green Nation, Uh, taking a look at Sam Darnold's production by type, you can search that and they will come up. Uh, So I've gone through his first 11 games, through that Texans game, going to get to the Packers and Patriots games pretty soon, but... It's been a lot of fun to write about and break down, but I'm really excited to come on here and talk about it.
2: Michael Nania on the Sam Darnold statistics. Joe Blewett on the Sam Darnold film. We are Sam Darnold central as we get ready for his sophomore campaign and fingers crossed that he ends up being as good as we all hope and think that he can be. Michael, thanks again. Go ahead and follow him on Twitter at Michael underscore Nania. Read all his work at Gangrene Nation and Elite Sports New York, in addition to the place where you can find some of his work and the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts. And that, of course, is Turn on the Jets Digital and Turn on TurnOnTheJets.com.
0: Step into the world of power, loyalty, We heard you loud and clear. So go to luckylandslots.com right now and play over a hundred social casino style games for free. Get lucky today at luckylandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington, and Michigan. No purchase necessary. BGW Group, Voyager, prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply.
1: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
0: Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
1: Ah.